Hi, hello and welcome to Realcom's second installment in our three-part corporate real estate series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom host for today's webinar, Navigating the Now Normal, the new corporate real estate tech stack. And thank you for tuning into the live session or viewing this as a recording. Our panel will explore hybrid work, integrated work, workflow management, new technologies, and the challenges that go along with all of those things. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First, thanks again to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if we don't and you don't get them answered during the webinar, we'll follow up at the end once the event has concluded. You'll find presentations for session one and two, and I think along with our speakers' bios in the handout section of your GoToWebinar control panel. And for the best experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Nobody has to be quarantined anymore, so turn off Netflix and pay attention. You'll learn something, I guarantee. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is to disconnect and click on the webinar link again, or you can also email ian at ithompson, I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, if you miss something, just use the link in the webinar recording that you'll get later today, and you'll be able to watch it uh, over and over as many times as you like. This educational webinar is sponsored by our outstanding technical partners. Building Engines provides commercial real estate's most innovative building operation software platform. They help the world's most successful portfolios deliver an exceptional experience for everyone in the building. PlanOn is a global integrated workplace management solution company providing innovative solutions for smarter, more sustainable buildings. They provide fully integrated software and hardware solutions that connect people, places, and processes to deliver more efficient and more productive workplace environments. We are grateful for all our contributors by these vendors and what they contribute to the industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. If you are interested in evaluating your workplace environments and streamlining building operations, I do recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. And finally, our moderator is Francisco Acova. He's principal for strategy and transactions at Ernst & Young. Welcome, Francisco. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks very much. All right. You're very well, welcome. You have, okay. a great, uh, you have a great group of panelists today, so I'm going to let you get to it. So it's all yours. Okay. Thanks so much. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, depending on, on where you are today. Uh, my name is Francisco Kova. Uh, as, as Chuck mentioned, a principal with Ernst Young, uh, with more than 25 years of global experience helping corporate real estate uh, organizations across the Fortune 500 uh, and many of the world's largest uh, public sector entities. At EY, I, I do serve as the America's co-lead for our corporate real estate consulting and technology practice. I also lead our Workplace Reimagined Solution, which is EY's cross-functional integrated solution uh, on helping corporate occupiers transform uh, their real estate portfolios, workplace environments, and enabling technology uh, to most effectively support hybrid work and the new normal. Uh, we have a team of more than 300 practitioners 
across all industries and sectors that are focused on this uh, overall solution to help reimagine the work and the workplace. The fastest growing component of the solution uh, is the technology pillar. So very apropos to today's discussion. Uh, as Chuck mentioned, today's webinar, uh, the new corporate real estate tech stack is part of the Realcom uh, Navigating the Now Normal series. Uh, as we gradually move towards a more digital heavy future uh, to enable hybrid work, uh, corporate real estate enterprise architecture uh, needs to evolve uh, and really rely on technology that connects all of the relevant information sources, uh, eliminates redundancies, et cetera. Uh, this session is going to explore many of these topics and, and we look forward to also integrating your questions uh, and key concerns into uh, our discussion. So please do use the chat feature to add any uh, questions or topics that you'd like us in particular to, to explore. Uh, before we dive into our, our, uh, our presenters here, I'd like to provide a little bit of context uh, on what we're looking at these days relative to corporate real estate technology and the landscape. So, as you can see here on this slide, um, in, in blue, we've highlighted uh, what we call the components of UI's digital workplace framework. On the right-hand side, we're talking about operational efficiency. This is uh, historically where we've had many of the key components of the foundational systems that are required to, to plan for, manage, operate, et cetera, a corporate real estate portfolio in the workplace. Um, on the left-hand side, where we're talking about human experience, uh, health, safety, well-being, and certainly sustainability. These are some of the, the key topics that are really coming to the forefront uh, uh, right now. Um, and organizations are really trying to figure out how do they look from end to end across this entire spectrum and look at the technology enablement opportunities. Um, clearly, there's a lot here. Uh, there's a lots of different things that you could look at and focus on. But the priority points will differ depending on the organization. Uh, but at the bottom of the slide, we've highlighted what we see as some of the key uh, use cases that many organizations are focused on today. Many of these are really on that left-hand side of the, of the chart in, in blue and yellow above. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll be talking more about that as we go through today's discussion. Uh, the landscape for corporate real estate technology uh, has been complex for many years and uh, only seems to be getting more complex uh, as we now add all of these new uh, IoT-enabled um, components and all of the elements around workplace experience uh, and so forth. So, so this ecosystem, as we like to think about it, uh, is becoming more and more complex, uh, and the need to think about integrated solutions and, um, and what you're going to use to form the foundation of your solution uh, has really become uh, quite critical. Along those lines, uh, when you know when we talk with clients these days, uh, as you think you'll see as we talk through our session today, the concept of the integrated corporate real estate technology platform is, is very important. Um, whether this is achieved through uh, using an, an IWMS for a, a core portion of that, uh, or whether you're looking to to assemble um, a, uh, a set of key technologies and integrate those uh, through various various means. Uh, the concept of having that integrated technology platform uh, that thinks about things like data consistently and structure and so forth is going to be very important. Without that integrated platform, you'll begin to experience many of the, the items you'll see highlighted on this slide, whether we're talking about uh, you know, disparate system challenges, 
around integration um, and, uh, and um, inconsistency uh, or poor data quality. Um, you know, you often have a concept of a, a limited view of the portfolio and many organizations have many, many systems that are not interconnected or integrated and you end up needing to go to multiple systems or solutions or platforms to pull your data and then analyze that on a third or potentially separate platform, uh, which becomes more complex. Uh, and in the end, I think that the biggest thing is that there's a lost opportunity uh, relative to what the, the power of the technology and what you could do uh, if you thought about this in a, in a different manner. So with, with, with that context, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll flip forward here. Um, and we're going to go to our first, uh, our first presenter uh, here. So this is going to be uh, Jeff Peel uh, from AIG. Uh, welcome, Jeff. Uh, Jeff is the technology program manager for the global real estate organization at AIG and brings over 20 years of experience uh, in the industry. Uh, his specialty is in system implementation. Uh, he has led application deployments and rollouts for a number of Fortune 500 organizations. So uh, Jeff, again, welcome and uh, thanks for joining us today. I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Great. All right. Thanks, Francisco. So uh, I presented here probably about, I think it was last November we had one of these, and we talked about AIG was in the process of splitting out its IWMS. We were taking our space system and, and facilities management system, putting it somewhere else to really get uh, more current technology. And hopefully this presentation will tell a little bit about the successes and some of the challenges we've seen with that process. But this is pretty much the same slide I've shown before. These are all the various real estate functions and systems that we have floating out there. And you know, one of our jobs is to make this data a little bit more easy, easy to access across the portfolio instead of having a data siloed. So what we've added to it is really at the bottom of it, we're doing more with SAP budget and actuals. That's something we really hadn't done a lot with before. We've also pulled in our fixed asset register. In the past, what we, when we run real estate reports and we look at total cost of occupancy, it was really a manual process to maintain all this stuff. We would be going out to the different countries, trying to pull this data back. We'd be surveying each site. Uh, now that we've got fixed asset register, we know exactly what your depreciation is and that, you know, by site, and that kind of feeds into our total cost of occupancy. Uh, SharePoint is another thing that's really grown. You know, use of SharePoint's really grown in the last year or two, and we're doing a lot more with that to integrate data and, and bring that a little bit more together. So one of the things that we've done recently that I'm, I'm really proud of is we've created a reporting portal. And at the top, you can see several tabs. These really align to the different real estate functions that, that I showed you on the previous tab. But what we've done is we've tried to organize, this is a combination of reports and spreadsheets, uh, links into other systems, links to SharePoint. You know, we, one of the things with SharePoint, SharePoint's great for organizing files, but it's really difficult to find anything in SharePoint if you're at the executive level in corporate real estate. You've got like, you know, you have SharePoint sites for every function. I have to keep a, I have to keep a favorite for it. And it, it makes it difficult. So what we've done here is we've taken those key files that exist on SharePoint and we put a link into it. Um, so now if I'm trying to find, hey, show me my latest portfolio report. It happens to be the Excel report that we publish every quarter. I have a link to it right here and I can click on that and boom, it, it takes me right into it. Uh, also, if I look at my occupancy, so I click on the occupancy tab, and now I can see all my attendance reports are organized in a way that I can get to it. 
or my space management reports, right? So I don't have to go into my space management system to see things. There's still more detailed reports at that space management level, you know, in our various IWS systems or space systems and reservation system. But now if I wanted to just look how am I doing across the portfolio, I have one place to go and I click on these things. So another thing that we're really proud of is our attendance dashboard. This is something that we've really spent a lot of time on over the last, uh, really last six months. And there, there's a lot happening here. This is unifying space data, HR data, or workplace data. So it's not just employees, it's employees and consultants, really anyone that's using our space except visitors, we, we exclude visitors. So that, that up and down bar is, is really our attendance, our badge swipes, right? Unique unique, uh, it's, it's really one per day, right? So if I swipe many times a day, it counts me as one person in for that day. So what we're looking at here is the utilization or really the attendance for our Philadelphia office. And this is a dashboard that goes from 2018, that's when we started collecting this data, all the way through today. Every day we're getting new data and it's refreshing. So um, users can go in here and you know, as you look at the trends, you can say, okay, look, my attendance goes down over time. Well, that, that's an easy one. I, I think we are all seeing that. Uh, but when you overlay that against what's my headcount look like over that time frame, you can see, well, you know, my headcount's also gone down over time. And you know, you can also see our capacity's changed over time. We've actually downsized this office a few times. So this is a, a really good view of you know how are we doing in the office, right? So a lot of what we focus on now, especially post-pandemic, is how are we doing with return to work, right? Our, our CEO in May had basically said, look, I want everyone back in the office two to three days a week. So it's real estate's job to say, how are we doing against that requirement? You know, are we actually in there uh, two days a week? Is that happening? He actually asked that we come back three to four days a week starting mid-September. So there's gonna be more reliance on this type of dashboard to see, are we complying? Um, and then real estate also uses this for planning purposes as a office, is planning to renew, we'll look at this to say, what is our, you know, how's our attendance actually looking over that time? What are our new requirements? So at the bottom, you can sort of see, uh, you know, we've got some average metrics there. We've got our yesterday's attendance, our average attendance by per day over this entire period, right? So that includes the pandemic period where you see it's very low. Um, average attendance over the top 10 days, which I think is probably better for planning. And what was my maximum attendance? How many days? people come in over the, the max. Uh, but then what we can do is we can kind of play with uh, some of the metrics here in the slider bar. So I don't really, you know, that that past picture was a good idea to look at from past to current. Uh, but maybe I just want to look at May forward from when the CEO said, this is when we need to be back in the office. So now you can see, you know, the numbers change a little bit. Uh, also on the left side, I can play with the filters. Um, we filter out AIG holidays. Uh, this, this is a global solution. so. We have global AIG holiday calendars for Japan and China, and we filter out their local holidays that we're looking at this, that doesn't skew our results. Uh, but maybe I can look at this and take out Fridays, or maybe they take out Mondays. So if I just exclude Friday, if I exclude Fridays and Mondays, um, you know, my average attendance might be 22% uh, as opposed to 26%, or it may go up to 30%, you know? so. And all of this just helps planning. Um, honestly, some of it might be a little bit too much information, but it's it's really a picture of what you can do with the data. I, I think the history data was a, a nice addition to this, you know, in addition to to the dashboard. Um, so those those reports and the portal that I showed you before 
right now that's just for real estate, but we're also looking at, at creating an external facing version of that with external reports. So there's too much that we don't necessarily want to share with the end users, but at the same time, we want to make things more self-service for them as well. Um, so some new data models that we've come up with that also support a, a lot of how we're working today. Rent allocation has changed. So in the past, we just allocated space to a call center or a department. Uh, but now we have these hybrid solutions where we're, we're allocating based on space and headcount. And that's something that we've had to develop for. Um, attendance, we, we've had to do a lot of interesting things there you know, to get that attendance dashboard. We had to figure out models to exclude visitors and um, things like that. And you know, we, we had to incorporate manager hierarchies that were available and department hierarchies, cost center hierarchies. So we're, we're doing a lot more to bring this stuff together and help with our reporting. And, and also financials, a big change that we're making in 2023 is historically, especially internationally, we budget by a department. So a department could be in multiple locations. Um, but that doesn't really help real estate. So for 2023, we're asking international to budget by location, give us that data back. Um, and then when they enter into SAP, SAP is still tracking at the higher level of department, uh, but now we've got better data in real estate to manage to the location. And some of the other interesting things we've done in the data warehouse, and, and this is really important, especially since we're working in different systems, there's a lot of validation that goes into making all this stuff run smoothly. And there's also a lot of validation just to make sure that data gets from one place to the other to support those automated processes. So as an example, um, you know, space data and lease data are very highly integrated, at least in our systems. You know, other companies may have less of reliance on that. But uh, you know, we're always validating spaces and we've developed a lot of automated validation to say, hey, if a person's assigned to a seat is are we charging that the right department? Um, just for capacity counts, hey, does every seat have the right capacity? Or do we have some seats that, you know, some office spaces that are don't have a capacity assigned, or do we have too much capacity assigned? All this stuff's really important, especially as we start automating more reports and publishing them, um, you know, for self-service. We don't have the chance to smooth the data before it goes out. People are actually getting that in real time. So, you know, a lot of this stuff really helps. Also, we sort of had a disjointed transaction management function. So as they put in their requests and say, we're downsizing office, that doesn't always get back to the space team. So now we've done some better integration there so that when we're opening a new office or downsizing, you know, whatever the case may be, we get that information on the space side and, and can incorporate that really quickly. Uh, and then, you know, with our HR system, sort of the same thing. HR has their work location, which is based on payroll, Real estate has their work location, which is based on who is actually assigned to that office. And, and we're always trying to keep those two in sync. So we're, we're trying to do more there. Um, and then internationally, you know, uh, there's, there's challenges also because our IWMS system is a system of record for lease and lease accounting. But, uh, you know, some groups also have more of, they, they, they sort of track things in spreadsheets. They track their own capacity. They track their own square footage. They track, and we're constantly trying to reconcile that. Um, so until we can actually bring them on and have them use our system, a lot of it, it has more to do with, let's take their data, do automated comparisons to our own, and then we can go ahead and, and do you know, corrections and hours to make them in sync. So automating things is a lot more of what we've been doing today. So I think that's all I've got for right now. Um, 
Francisco, I'll turn it back to you. I think you might have a couple questions or I'm not sure if any questions came in. Yeah, no, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for walking through that. Uh, just a, a, couple of, a couple of questions. You mentioned that you are uh, going through and developing some programs, initiatives to help get people back to the office. Um, have you been able to use the, the attendance reporting and tracking to help validate the, you know, the, the, the value of some of those programs, if they're working or not? I, I think there's definitely an opportunity to do that. We we haven't we really haven't used it for that, but I think it's important. You know, hey, if, if today is the ice cream social day, let's let's look at our attendance data. Did, was that successful mm -hmm. or not? A, another way that we wanted to use the data is, you know, as we start, we, we wanted to do a better job of surveying in general, right? As we release, as we bring new offices online and we start bringing in new furniture arrangements and workplace arrangements and conference room technology. You know, is that bringing people back to the office, or mm -hmm. do people feel more productive in that environment versus at home versus the old environment? Um, that's all an opportunity that that we have in front of us to to you know, better manage. Excellent. And then just one more question: Just with the reports that you've developed to date, uh, dashboards, um, which have been received uh, most uh, positively, and uh, and then what's on the horizon? What are the, what are the key items you're going to look at for the coming year? <laughs> the, the attendance dashboard, every person we show wants access to that. Um, okay. <laughs> every manager, every every person at every level, they, they want to see that dashboard. Um, but what's missing from that is the company view, you know, what makes up, it's, it's not just my total headcount, but how is IT performing versus HR? Who's really using the space? I, let's get a better picture of that or get a picture by manager level. So that that's the big improvement that we want to do on that one. Um, because when it comes to planning, you know, looking at overall utilization for the building tells me where I've got an opportunity, but planning is usually doing it at a manager level. So mm -hmm. the building might say, okay, 100 people came in, but when we plan seating, we might need 120 seats when we're starting to look at lower levels. So Great. Uh, that's what we're looking to improve on. Okay, excellent. All right, Jeff, thanks so much. We'll look forward to continuing the discussion on the panel uh, towards the end of the, of the, uh, of the session. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, well, let's move on to then our, our second uh, presenter here, which is uh, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Kopstein. He's a senior manager uh, for workplace and real estate technology at Uber. Uh, Jeremy joined Uber in 2017. He brings about 15 years of experience within the corporate real estate technology arena. Uh, he's responsible for development and maintenance of Uber's application platform uh, for the workplace and real estate team, focused on strategy, leadership, and delivery of the tools that are needed by uh, Uber's team uh, to manage the portfolio and meet their the operational requirements. Uh, so, Jeremy, welcome, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, uh, Francisco, for uh, introducing me. Um, first, I feel it's important to identify some of the reasons why we're seeing the focus on the new tech stack. Um, as the industry changes, and also companies, workplace continues to drive, uh, be a driving force for the future of work and enabling our internal businesses. Here are just three uh, areas that should be considered when looking at your future tech stack, uh, enabling your businesses, improving experience at the office and operating our offices more efficiently. As company moves, moves forward out of the pandemic, the workplace is becoming more and more an enabler to businesses. Being empowering the workplace teams with accurate up-to-date information this allows the teams to be more proactive versus reactive in discussions with the business. 
For example, many companies are making statements around Hybed being the new work model going forward. Soon business leaders will be asking the questions, what's working in this new model and what's not working? Data is gonna be critical to help drive discussions around these topics with business partners. Continuing on the discussion with Hybrid, there is more and more pressure on workplace to ensure that the experience at our office is better than ever. In the end, it's becoming more and more a choice for workers to actually come into our office versus work remotely. How will your teams measure success around the experience programs? Likely there'll be success measures identified and thus the need to have data to drive these discussions. Lastly, but not least important, it's, it's using more data to help manage our offices and workplaces more efficiently. Workplace and real estate spend is typically one of the top three expenses for a company. So when and where our teams can more efficiently leverage data to operate more efficiently is always important. And this will lead into our next topic around various existing systems and sources of data potentially within your company. Most companies have all three of these categories that are potential very valuable data sources to help with better understanding of how workplace and teams are leveraging our office space, room booking systems, badging systems, and even traditional space management and HR systems. Room booking systems have traditionally been used to support conference room booking. Most booking systems tend to already come with utilization reporting and dashboards to help teams better understand just from a booking perspective, how rooms are being utilized. There are even reporting platforms and other workplace solutions that have direct integrations with these booking systems, thus allowing even more insights. Attendance data is one of the more popular data points teams are looking at. One item learned during the pandemic is knowing how occupied our offices are and is more important than ever, not only from a safety perspective, but as companies transition, again, from a traditional come to the office workday environment to come when you want. Knowing more about attendance trends will be critical for operating our offices and speaking with your business stakeholders. Lastly, you have your traditional people and space systems. Companies are giving workers options now to choose when and where they want to work, but traditional workers will have a home-based office that they're assigned to, unless your company is adopting full remote working. So for non-remote workers, they're likely going to continue to be a demand on their primary office. For the workplace team, you are likely tracking space in a traditional space management tool as you are managing a supply. It will always still be important that the people data and the spatial data are tied together successfully. Let's now take a look at some of the potential of the future of data in the workplace. Based off where our industry is going, here are a few categories I believe will greatly advance in the coming years. Number one, as workers start to have choices of when and where they'll be able to work, you're gonna to start to see the need to blend digital and physical workplace data to help paint a better picture of how our workforce is collaborating. Having deeper insights into how teams are collaborating across the digital and physical world will start to become a data set that needs to be analyzed. People and places analytics have traditionally always tended to work in silos. As we shift to a work environment where employees have a choice to work at home or at the office, the need to bring these two silos together will become more important than ever. And then third, as more and more data is collected around the workplace, we will we'll be able to start to see leveraging machine learning and artificial intelligence to help make decisions. This is already starting to occur, especially on operation side of our offices, like smart cleaning. So again, these are just a few items I believe will become more and more advanced in the coming years. So keep your eyes open uh, and your ears open for some of the new technology in the industry.
So lastly, as companies start to add new tech stack, one thing I believe will be critical is a solid data strategy. Here's a quick overview of our data strategy and how it's broken out. We've got data management. This is the management of data as it moves between systems. Currently, we have 24 systems connected to our platform. This includes workplace-owned systems and partner systems. We have 70 inbound, outbound integrations, and my team supports the daily movement around 14 gigs of data and 3,000 automated jobs a week. Data governance. It's not, only, it's not only great to have your data organized, it's important to have a sound data governance program to hold data owners accountable. Currently, our team, we audit around 300 fields and 600 automated daily scripts uh, during this uh, data governance. Last month, we audited around 1 million records in total. All results are available monthly via a live dashboard. Data analytics. Currently, we have 20 Tableau dashboards with 70 views in total that have been deployed, that have been deployed over the past two years. We average around 1,000 views across these dashboards per month. Our data strategy program is supported by an internal tech team within our workplace organization, two data engineers, four data analysts, and four system specialists. I feel it's important to call this out as we shift from our industry to more advanced applications and more data, it's important not to forget about the support resources that will be required. In the end, it's great to have data, but if there's no strategy on how you intend to manage this data and use this data, technically it's just taking up memory in the cloud. So ensure that if you're heading down the path of adding more systems, collecting more data, that you first develop a sound data strategy that can easily be scaled for your growth in data. Okay, all right, Jeremy. Well, thanks for thanks for walking us through that uh, that overview. A uh, couple of questions uh, that come up here. So, for one, uh, what's next for Uber? What are the new technologies that you're planning to deploy uh, to support the workplace experience going forward? One of our main ones right now is sensors. Uh, so as, as the outcome of the, the uh, pandemic, we were able to get the business case to deploy um, a global sensor program, occupancy sensors. So we are in the process this year of procuring and deploying those at critical sites with the intent to incorporate that data into some of our existing dashboards to give us more uh, deeper real-time analysis of how our, how our critical buildings are being used from a uh, how our teams using certain areas to also our new design buildings, how are our designs being utilized to so understand and, and focus, do we need to shift design in the future uh, for areas that are not being as used as often as we expect. Great. And are you guys, are you guys looking to establish or build your own platform to aggregate that data? Are you looking for looking at third party sources? Or it's still a TBD. <laughs> I think initially out the gate, uh, I've advised the team that long term, um, we picked a solution that does have, you know, modern APIs. We can pull information, um, but uh, the initial MVP is is leveraging the dashboards and functionality within the the sensor product that we get, and then putting a roadmap in place to determine can we bring this information into our existing data warehouse, or do we need an aggregator tool? Um, it is a lot of data, right? Those that have worked with sensor data or attendance data, it's a lot of data, and sometimes you might need to look at third party aggregator tools to help you. Um, facilitate all that uh, information. Right, yeah, it's, it's nice to have all those technologists resources in-house to help uh, help figure that stuff out, right? Yes, yeah, I think it's it's definitely something companies need to start to think if they're going down this path of wanting to do advanced data analytics. Excellent, and another question that came up, um, so how do you get feedback from the employees on what is working and what is not? 
Uh, it, I would say right now it's more it's more informal, right? These are discussions I think uh, a lot of companies are probably to understand is, is is you really need to get a heartbeat of the employees going forward. Uh, right now, uh, we we get this feedback through our facility concierge teams, right? So understand what's working, what's not working. Um, I think we're going to continue to learn and, and and how to understand how do we use those quick feedbacks that we get in informal discussions, whether it's a Slack channel or someone on site, um, but making, but actually actioning now, I think is the most important thing from an employee perspective. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Well, Jeremy, thanks for, thanks for the overview here. And we'll, uh, we'll reconnect with you in a few minutes when we get to our, our panel. All right. Well, now that we have some end user context, uh, we're going to turn to our first uh, webinar sponsor, which is Plan On. I believe we're going to start out with, uh, with an overview video. Since its establishment in 1982, Planon has been dedicated to providing innovative solutions to smart building environments and turning them into livable and productive spaces. We believe building users, owners and services providers deserve better and integrated experiences. We connect buildings, people and processes by eliminating data silos and aligning solutions into one shared information platform. By that, we empower all building stakeholders with actionable and meaningful insights. We create places where people work, live, play and learn. We have a positive impact on our users' life and our planet, empowering all to answer future needs and upcoming challenges. Connecting ecosystems, processes, people, buildings, plan on building connections. Okay, great. All right. Well, I'd like to introduce uh, Darlene Pope, uh, who's the president of Plan On North America. Uh, Darlene oversees all aspects of, of operations for Planon, uh, which is the world's leader in integrated real estate management solutions. She brings more than 30 years of experience in commercial real estate, technology, and smart building consulting. Uh, Darlene, welcome. Great, thank you. Hello, Francisco, how are you? All right, very good. I'll turn it to you. Great, thank you. Um, great to be here. Uh, so I wanted to give you just a little overview of Plan On. Um, as Francisco mentioned, I've had about 30 years of experience in smart building consulting. Uh, so you may wonder why a smart building expert went over to an IWMS company. Um, but we really don't separate the two. So we really do look at worlds colliding uh, and bringing together that true end-to-end -end technology roadmap. Uh, so Plan On is about 40 years old. Uh, we've got about 2,600 customers all over the world, more than 1,000 employees, um, consistently ranked in the upper right quadrant for Gartner, Redantix, IDC, in terms of the world's leading IWMS provider. So what exactly does that mean? Um, well, what we're seeing in the space right now is a very high demand for real estate-related software uh, that can help corporate real estate, commercial real estate manage all of their data, specifically around energy and sustainability and space and workplace. Uh, we find that those are the two highest in demand right now. Uh, as you can certainly imagine with people trying to get their employees back to work, it's really important to understand utilization, space management, uh, use of space. Uh, so we're seeing very high demand for that as well as energy and sustainability to support corporate ESG metrics. 
So very strong demand for real estate software. So what does that mean in terms of pulling it all together for a smart workplace? Well, as you've heard from some of the other speakers, very strong focus on data and collecting real-time data to be able to understand exactly what's going on in that space. So really looking at digitizing the workplace. Um, and once you can digitize the workplace and, and get your data and visualize your data, that then leads to automation. So when you're starting to connect the IT and the OT uh, to connect the digital workplace to the physical smart building components, that's when you really get into the ability to automate uh, various processes within the building. For example, taking utilization data, location-based people data, occupancy data, and feeding that to the BMS so that you can run the building based on real-time occupancy. I think what we saw during the pandemic was so many thousands of buildings that were vacant that were still running on a time clock and still air conditioning the space and still running as if the building was fully occupied. So really taking advantage of using data to run the building more efficiently. One, one of the things you'll hear today is that, that single source of truth, uh, really having a location for all of your data instead of having conflicting data sets residing in different tools. Uh, I think that there are so many different ways that companies are collecting occupancy data. Um, and in many cases, that occupancy data is conflicting um, and resides in different places. So really looking at that single source of truth to bring all your data together in one place so you can truly understand what's going on and get those operational insights. So again, you know, the worlds are colliding. Uh, traditional workplace and IWMS functions are now integrating with traditional smart building functions so that we are able to provide that true end-to-end -end CRE roadmap. Um, as I mentioned, whether it's occupancy connecting to building automation, whether it's visitor management software connecting directly to your access control system, whether it's your CAD drawings being uploaded and connecting into your space management platform, physical sensors connecting in to your space management to be able to show real-time occupancy on a floor plan. Um, I think that's absolutely critical is really understanding where your people are, not only to manage the building, but also to give that data to the end users so that they can see what space is available or they can pick a spot in the building that isn't uh, uh, heavily occupied so that they can maintain social distancing if there's a concern about you know, where, where they sit. Um, so really important to be able to take that data and not only use it internally, but also give it to end users. Maybe that's energy data, uh, showing the end users in the building where you are against your energy goals so that you can engage them uh, to help support that. So again, really looking at how we pull all of this data in the same place and then visualize it. Let me talk a little bit about an integrated solution. And I, and I think what we've seen consistently, not only from our, our speakers today, but also from our clients um, and, and companies I've worked with as a consultant, typically companies buy independent point solutions and then they attempt to integrate them after the fact. Um, and that's fine if there's only two or three, but as we continue to start to get into this everything integrated world, it gets really complicating when you try to integrate four or five or six or seven or eight, or I think Jeremy mentioned 70 integrations that you've got to try to maintain and manage and, and, and hire people to do all that work. Um, so this is kind of what we're seeing is traditional point solutions. And then, you know, you may be able to pull all those together into some type of an API platform and, and, and at least uh, try to manage that. 
Um, but again, it's very costly. It's clunky. It's messy. It still gives you that, um, you know, multiple uh, points of error. Uh, if you change a field name in one system, it breaks the connections to all the other systems. So again, that can get very clunky. Um, you know, where plan on focuses is that single integrated solution so that all of those solutions are built in that common platform from the ground up and aren't bolted together. Um, you'll also see a lot of mergers and acquisitions in the space right now uh, where companies are realizing that they have to offer multiple solutions under one roof. But again, those are not built from the ground up. So really looking at the value of an integrated solution. And then that gives you the ability to take all of these functions within the organization, your real estate, your space, your asset maintenance management, your energy and sustainability, and have that common platform where you can then feed up the data and feed it to dashboards inside out and backwards. You can slice and dice and report any way you need to. Um, you know, our, our opinion and our view is that you don't need a whole team of data analysts to be able to view and visualize and understand data if you have it in the right platform that can feed you the data in a way that's that's visually uh, friendly and it's user friendly and it's easy to easy to read. So, for example, for space and workplace management, being able to clearly see what's occupied and unoccupied, being able to get dashboards and reports from that common database that shows you whether you need large conference rooms or more small conference rooms, being able to visualize even things like temperature indoor air quality, um, all of those directly in a dashboard that's very user friendly. So really taking the data and aggregating it and being able to visualize it so you don't necessarily need a data analyst to tell you what's going on. Um, same with asset and maintenance management, all of your work orders, you know, what's our average response rate, how many work orders are outstanding, um, are there certain work orders tied to specific locations in the building, are we always getting uh, work orders in a certain area of the building and what's going on there. Again, the value of having all that data in the same database so that you can start to correlate different data sets that maybe you never correlated before because that data resided in multiple platforms. Same with energy and sustainability um, and all of the other data that you're collecting uh, from your buildings. Okay, great. Thanks, Darlene, for that overview. A uh, couple, couple of questions that have come through here. So. Uh, first one is around uh, the overall thoughts around IWMS solutions and what you see as the biggest obstacles for adoption and implementation in today's market. Well, I'll tell you, I think the biggest obstacle is that companies still operate in silos, um, not only from a multiple stakeholders in different parts of the organization, but also from a budgeting and procurement standpoint. So, for example, you've got your facility management group that's probably looking for a work order management platform, a CMMS, and they have their own budget and they have their own requirements and so they'll purchase a CMMS. You've got your corporate real estate team and they're primarily focused around real estate management and space management and they've got a budget and they've got a need and so they procure a space management platform. You've got your finance department that's interested in a leasing tool. You've got HR that needs an HR tool and so what happens is the, the stakeholders within the organization aren't talking to each other and they're buying point solutions based on what they need as opposed to really looking at that end-to-end -end strategy and working with IT to pull in a solution that can meet multiple needs. So I think that's really one of the biggest obstacles is breaking down the silos in the organization 
um, and understanding what an end-to-end -end strategy really looks like. Okay, great, great. And, and earlier on at the intro, I talked a little bit about the concept of the integrated corporate real estate technology platform, uh, and, uh, and certainly Planon has, has looked to do that and bring in the, the IoT piece with the, the, the historical IWMS components. How does that help you more effectively support um, what you mentioned earlier in your, in your presentation, that convergence of um, IWMS and core technology with, with smart buildings? Well, I'll tell you, Francisco, it's not just the power of the IWMS itself, but the power of being an open platform. Um, so there's no one provider out there that can do everything, right? We all mm -hmm. know that. There's no one provider that does everything smart buildings and everything digital right. workplace in one big package with a bow, right? So you have to pick at least, you know, multiple solutions that are in that core platform with the ability to integrate into anything else you need to integrate with. So, mm -hmm. you know, we integrate into Workday, we integrate into Oracle, we integrate into SAP, we integrate into Siemens and Schneider and Johnson and, and really having an open platform with the ability to tie into whatever additional components yeah. you need. Um, so I think that's really critical. It isn't just the, the the selecting the core IWMS platform, but also the ability to connect because smart buildings and digital workplaces, it's, it's not a one-time project. It's not a put it in, implement, and you're done. It is a continuous journey. And we're going to continue to find more and more things to connect to in the future. When you look at IoT and you look at digital twins and you look at it's not going to stop with just, you know, five, six, seven components. It's going to continue to evolve over time where you have to have the ability to continue to connect um, and continue to pull that data into that single source. Excellent. Great. All right. I appreciate that perspective. Um, we'll, uh, we'll reconnect with you in a few minutes when we get to the panel. Thanks, Charlie. Great. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump to our next um, sponsor presenter here, uh, which is going to be uh, Building Engines. and have an intro video and then we'll, we'll turn to Jeff. In commercial real estate, success starts with the building. The best run properties deliver the best tenant experiences, driving more revenue and boosting your NOI. It's what exceptional building operations is all about. But while the equation is simple, getting there is anything but, especially as your portfolio grows. Enter PRISM by Building Engines. PRISM is CRE's most modern, most innovative, and most powerful building operations platform, uniquely designed to help you increase NOI from a single building to thousands of commercial properties. Okay, very good. All right, well, we'd like to introduce uh, Jeff Thompson, uh, who's the VP of Product Management for, for Building Engines. Uh, Jeff joined Building Engines in 2018. Uh, via the acquisition of Aware Manager, uh, where he was the co-founder and CEO. Uh, Jeff brings 30 years of experience applying technology to complex problems in the built environment. So, Jeff, welcome. Uh, thanks for joining our webinar today, and uh, I'll turn the floor to you. Thanks, Francisco. It's great to be here. Um, I just wanted to start off with a little bit of an introduction about building engines, and as you'll notice in the title of the slide, Building Engines has been acquired by JLL and as part of the JLLT technology organization, uh, we are operating much as we were. Uh, we're delivering solutions and within sort of BE sphere, we have over a thousand customers with 4 billion square feet, um, operating in 60 countries. 
with you know over 40,000 properties under management worldwide. So it's a it's a fairly substantial uh, portfolio in its own right in terms of managed space. And, uh, what I wanted to do, I wanted to use the time uh, that we have here to talk a little bit about the considerations about stacks and ecosystems that we're running into as we talk to our clients and as we engage with our clients about what to build and how to build it. So I think that it fits into the topic and it's a good way into the dialogue that's coming up. One of the things that's come up with the speakers all the way through is this idea of operating in a multi-stakeholder environment. And so the idea is that you're not creating a solution just for an owner or just for an FM or just for a property manager or vendor or tenant. You need to create a foundation underneath it all so that each of those stakeholders can interact. And then if you do a good job of that and you provide value to each one of the stakeholders, you're capturing the, in the interactions that those stakeholders have and all of that will throw off data that can that can help you make informed decisions. It's really at the center of what we're trying to do. And it really should be at the center of trying to pick a stack in an ecosystem. So well, one of the things that came up in the pre-call when we were talking about this is the idea of you know, integrating systems. Because as Darlene said, you're never going to have one solution for everything. Well, one of the things to be really careful about in creating an ecosystem or a stack is, if at all possible, what you want to do is focus on creating something that's more based on sort of a hub and spoke model rather, rather than lots of many-to-many -many integrations. So if you can create something at the center of your organization that represents your portfolio accurately and then represents all the stakeholders accurately, you're off to a great start. Because then what you can do is you can manage the interactions uh, between the stakeholders and then you can provide API integrations out to lots of other programs in a consistent way. So uh, one of those integrations is often you know, data warehousing for all the different clients that we have, where each stakeholder has its own needs and it has its own decisions to make. So rather than trying to create one data warehouse for every single stakeholder, if you create a really good foundation at the center, each of those stakeholders can pull the information they need into their data warehouse, they can, they can do their own BI. So if you have competing stakeholders, you know, lots of property owners have more than one management company, for example. What you really wanna do is provide consistency and common ground so that you provide the same API capability, you provide the same ability to, uh, to pull information, and then you allow each of those stakeholders to leverage that information for their own analytics. From an owner's standpoint, the advantage is that you're providing the ability to do apples to apples comparisons between providers. So the idea is that you really wanna create something at the center that everyone can reference. Um, another thing that comes up quite a bit are the diverse asset types that people need to deal with. Um, very few organizations are monolithic and that they only have retail or they only have office or they only have industrial. I mean, even just in the commercial space, a lot of commercial office towers have retail built in. So that brings a whole another set of needs into um, the analytics that they do. So we wanna make sure we, you capture all of that as you're doing your planning. And then um, obviously varying amenity levels. This is a huge thing right now in terms of all attendant experience and occupant uh, experience applications they were all sort of barreling toward a known future, which got changed tremendously by the pandemic, and then all of them had to shift and change. But now they're sort of evolving into the portal through which um, members of all these stakeholder organizations interact. So it's a, it's a really exciting time. But what you want is you want them all connecting to something standard. So if you have to switch and change amenities for different buildings or move from one, uh, one solution to another, you want to make sure that they're all referencing sort of the same API endpoints in the same way, so they're interchangeable. Um, you know, some other considerations, the idea of, you know, fitting in 
being open, being API first, truly API first, and that you provide the same endpoints, um, document them well, um, and be willing to work with lots of different programs is key. Uh, risk mitigation, uh, risk mitigation and future proofing are, are very similar, but you want to make sure that if you're as you're making your choices for lots of different applications out there in the field, you want to make sure that you're linking them to that central foundation in a smart way, so that you can get the same information from different ones, which again supports good decision making. And then just the middle one there for localization and globalization, that's still a, a, a huge issue when you're trying to create a stack or an ecosystem. You wanna make sure that your, your solution can cover your entire portfolio. If you have to have a different solution in different locations, you're, you're building limitations in, in terms of what you can do with your stack. So what that sort of meant to us, um, as we were looking at this space and this issue, is we saw that large portfolios have multiple operators. They all have their own accounting systems, which makes sense. They all have their own data warehousing and they have to keep those things separate. They're all competing with one another. They have various things that they feel give them competitive edge. And so what we wanted to do was focus on representing the assets and stakeholders in a framework within which all these operations take place, build up data, you know, accumulate the data as the day-to-day -day, you know, operations are going on and then make it all open. So providing those APIs to all the different stakeholders and to the additional technologies, so you really create that common ground. You know, and one of the one of the considerations too, now that we are a part of JLL, is our focus has to be even more on being that common ground provider and being transparent and being API driven, because we are working with lots of different providers and lots of different owners. So we think that's kind of the future of what we're doing, and that's how we're approaching it. Great, Jeff. Thanks so much uh, for the overview. A couple of questions. Um, so with your recent acquisition uh, by LGLLT, uh, how have your plans changed or have they? Uh, it, it's interesting. Um, it, it hasn't changed the plan really at all, but what it has done is it's helped us scale. And obviously, you know, in terms of giving us a, a, a really big sort of garden to work in. Um, but in terms of the, the plan itself, what we recognized was the opportunity to create an operation side platform for real estate. So lots of different lots of different organizations are trying to build a platform. And where we saw the center of gravity in this industry was really around the representation of the portfolio and the operations that take place within it. So tracking, you know, it started off with all the core basics, work and maintenance and inspections and all the rest. But that's that's grown tremendously. And so what we've done at building engines what we were doing is pursuing creating that plat platform to integrate all those features and you know to build a new modern stack based platform that turned out to be the same vision that the jlt technology organization had yeah. within JLL. so they were they were able to work with us and we embarked on the same plan excellent no, that's great and during your presentation there you made reference to uh data integration connectivity and so forth uh where do you see the, the the place for things like uh, industry data standard models like uh, like Oscar or others um, in, in this process? And do you see those as as accelerators uh, here potentially? I do. I, I also think that I I think they are accelerators. One of the things that we realized in doing all, doing our work is that different locations you know follow different standards or different industries do. Even different types of facilities have different you know standards that apply to them, whether it's a hospital mm -hmm. or a thing an office building. So um, what we need to do is make those things interchangeable. So uh, I think, you know, Jeff mentioned in his presentation how 
even the same space can be thought of differently by different stakeholders, whether it's HR or whether it's a vendor, or whether it's the engineers. So similarly, the equipment within the buildings and the way the spaces are characterized, that needs to be standardized underneath, but it needs to be able to reference all those standards and bring them in for different organizations. It's a, it's a, huge, it's a huge part of making the system future-proof. Great, excellent. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, as the, the systems and the platforms become more open, as you referenced and Darlene referenced earlier, um, do you see a change in, in the stakeholders who are making decisions about uh, these platforms, whether it's selection or how it will be implemented? Or, uh, yeah, definitely. I think if you, if you think about just the, over the last however many years in the space, it used to be that engineers and managers in an individual building could make decisions about almost any software program they wanted. Right. And right. a lot of the decision, a lot of that decision making started to move over into a sort of the CIO's uh, space, and they were their decisions to make. And then, but now you have a lot of organizations that not only have the sort of IT aspect, they also have innovation, and they have lots of other things around, mm -hmm. whether it's engagement or community building. So now there's lots of people involved in the decision. And I think you know you have to be sensitive to all those requirements as you as you create an offering. Excellent. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, Jeff, thanks so much uh, for the overview here. We're actually going to transition now to our our panel discussion. So Ian, yeah, you can help us uh, help us with that. So we'll get everybody back on camera here, and we will uh, we'll, we'll we'll jump in. Uh, a number of questions have come in from folks uh, throughout the, the last. Uh, last 50 minutes or so we were working in the background to get those uh, integrated into our our, our our discussion here so um so let's let's start out, start out at the macro level so as a reference point so um at ey for example we actually just opened uh, our new uh, america's hq at one manhattan west here in new york city um we've deployed a number of technologies uh, from digital twin to new workplace management solution uh, to a hybrid work decision enablement tools, and of course, a full array of uh, IoT devices to support uh, environmental management, workplace optimization, safety and health, etc. Um, what do you see as the two or three top technologies uh, that uh, that corporate real estate occupiers really need to think about as they're looking to support the the now normal? Uh, and I'm going to start with uh, with Jeff. Uh, Jeff, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Francisco. Uh, so for us, the, the big technology that we've been investing in is mobile reservations. We, we really want to know who's coming into the office. We want to know how the space is being utilized. And as we're, again, the CEO is telling us he wants us in three days, four days a week. Now we're concerned, do we have enough space? Are people actually going to come back three or four days a week? So that reservation reliance is really important. Um, and then I think the, you know, the integration, I think we did with the badge system, the issue with the badge system is not every office is on that badge system. So maybe 120 out of the 400 are using it. We tried to integrate with network data. We had a lot of challenges with, with that data. Um, but I'd say that that's where I think real estate needs to invest is, is getting accurate attendance information. Okay, very good. Uh, Jeremy, how about from uh, Uber's perspective? Uh, I'm going to piggyback off Jeff. I think, you know, number one is, is a mobile experience, right? Being able to provide a mobile platform to uh, your employees, right? To uh, do things such as reservations, finding space, you know, uh, events, communication, things like that. So uh, I think that's a must have. The number one would be analytics and dashboards. I, I can't uh, 
express how important it's going to be going forward, you know, to have good reporting and analytics platforms to answer the more questions that are going to continue to be coming to the workplace team on, do we have enough space? Do we have too much space? How are our teams working? How are new designs working? Things like that. So those would be, I would say, the two most critical things that uh, all companies should be looking at right now. Okay, great. Uh, Darlene, how about from your perspective? Yeah, so absolutely space and space utilization are at the top of the list, but I think we also have to ask ourselves, why is it that so many people don't want to come back into the workplace? Uh, because with COVID, we've all been working from home for two, and look at all of our backgrounds. We're all sitting at home right now, right? So from our perspective, like really looking at what technology is going to entice people that they want to choose to come back to the workplace. So looking at that employee engagement, a personalized uh, end user experience and providing some of the same amenities in the workplace that they've been used to having at home. And that does absolutely include a, a mobile experience, location-based services, um, that personalized uh, comfort and convenience. So temperature control, lighting control, room booking, um, as I mentioned, location-based services. So I think that there's a lot of technologies that we can implement in the workplace that will create that experience where people want to come back into work. Okay, excellent. Uh, Jeff Thompson. About um, I, I, certainly, I, I certainly agree with, with what's been said here around, you know, the need for tracking things like, you know, occupancy and who's going to be in the building and implementing sensors for that. All of that is, is definitely uh, coming in important in the, in the sort of return to work. One of the things I think is a really key thing is connecting those systems to the operating systems for the building. So making the building be able to be responsive to who's going to be in the building, how many people. And it's a combination of employees that are doing hoteling and booking meetings and things like that, as well as visitors and vendors and everyone else. Getting an accurate picture of what's going on in the building and then connecting it to the systems that operate it, I think that's going to be the key. Okay, very good. All right, well, let's... Uh, let's turn to a question that uh, have lots of us here um, around the impacts of the pandemic. So how has the pandemic changed your perspectives on corporate real estate technologies uh, and the associated tech stack? Um, and how do you go about prioritizing what you're going to focus on on when? Um, uh, Jeff Peel, why don't we start with you? Well, I, I think the big question on everyone's mind, especially real estate, is how much space do I need to get? Uh, who's coming back to work? How many people are coming back to work? Is this going to change? Are, you know, so we need to be able to measure that. Are people coming back to work? Yes or no? What percentage? How's that compared to what, how they used to work? Um, you know, those are all questions that we're getting that we, we're still working on the answers. So, you know, having a tech stack that supports those answers is the top priority. Okay, great. Uh, Darlene, how about you? Yeah, absolutely um, agree with Jeff on that. However, I also think the pandemic completely changed the way that people look at indoor air quality um, within the building because the reason we've all been home for the last two years is because people were afraid to go into work because they didn't want to get sick. Um, so I think a very strong focus on indoor air quality is critical to creating that environment where people feel safe. And it's not just collecting the data, it's visualizing the data and giving the employees, the end users, that data so that they know it's safe to come back to work. So in addition to space management, because also piggybacking on space management, you can also manage social distancing. 
Um, so it's not only about, you know, making sure that the employees know that we have good indoor air quality, that we're turning over the air and, you know, many more times a day than we used to, um, but also for location-based space management, you can sit in places where you know somebody else hasn't been sitting there for the last two hours, or you can pick an area where you can do social distancing. So I think those two combined are really important. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Jeremy, how about yourself? Yeah, I think uh, occupancy has been the biggest thing, right? You know, everybody, I think four years ago, talked about sensors, right? You know, and 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 trying to get the business case, though, to push those sensors out was, was always a challenge, you know? Um, I think at post pandemic, uh, I usually say, tell people like during the pandemic, everybody wishes we had sensors at that point in time to really understand like, you know, what floors are being used, that sort of stuff, right? You know, um, so I think uh, that was a, a major shift we had business 100% backing to have more information, right? So businesses now are more invested, your stakeholders are more invested in understanding what's working. Why do we have so much space? What space is good? What space is not good, right? So there's a lot more focus on the workplace team to kind of provide that business enabling information back to the team. So those, those that, that, that detailed information is gonna be more critical going forward because that's what the businesses are gonna want. All right, Jeff Thompson, why don't you close us out on this one? Sure. So, so there are two. We actually saw two sort of aspects to this. One of them was more about being responsive and reconfiguring existing solutions for buildings under sort of this new webinar. But the idea that buildings that are vacant have a lot more requirements around specific types of inspections and this task that need to be done to ensure the asset value is being maintained. So, one thing we need to do with our clients is sort of um, instantiate a lot of these new processes and, and get those rolled out as best practices. And then what we saw from a development standpoint was really uh, focusing on indoor air quality and energy. And on indoor air quality, there was two aspects. One is sensors, but then there's also active indoor air quality management in terms of connecting the systems to change air, things like that. So we saw all of those things go together into a pandemic response. Okay, great. All right, well, let, let's turn our, our topic then to uh, more of a discussion around around data. Uh, we refer to the, the growing amount of data that's uh, that's available and, and, and presenting itself. So a question to our, our vendor uh, panelists here. As, as you work with clients, um, what technology can help sift through this, this growing mountain of data um, and, and help make more uh, effective decision-making uh, opportunities for, for your clients? Uh, Darlene. Well, I think the one thing we need to focus on is real-time data, uh, time series data, uh, to understand what's happening right now. Um, and you can't do that without software. You can't do that without a central platform. You can't do that without being able to take the data and visualize it in a dashboard. Um, you know, a perfect example, the way that we used to um, uh, collect and measure occupancy was you get a report a day later of what the bad swipes were yesterday, right? Well, that doesn't tell me how many people are in the building right now. Um, so, so that's completely changed. The way we used to do energy management was, well, let's take a look at the electric bill when it comes in and let me see what happened in the last 30 days as opposed to what's happening right now. So I think the key to data management is real-time data and being able to understand what that real-time data means. Um, and also looking at being able to correlate, see trends, see anomalies, um, understand that, that two different data sets can have conflicting 
um, uh, information. Um, and also being able to take the data and you know run it against a rules engine so that we can then start to automate processes and automate building operations based on those rules. You know, perfect example is you may have a, a constant temperature in the building, but the data behind the scenes is seeing that you're simultaneously heating and cooling that space. So the 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 system, the data knows that there's something going on that's not right, even though the front end data may show that you've got the right temperature. So I think being able to pull that data in and analyze it and visualize it and understand what that means is absolutely critical to the way we run buildings going forward. Great, excellent. Uh, Jeff Thompson. Yeah, I mean, I, I think partly to Darlene's point, but um, I think a lot of it has to do with normalizing the data as it comes in and making it part of that kind of underlying foundation so you can create something that lots of different stakeholders can use. And then that needs to be as close to real time as possible. And then you need to provide APIs to each of the different stakeholders for them to do what they need. So a building owner is going to look at information in a different way than an FM would, or than, than some of your vendors might. So I think the what we see from a data standpoint in terms of making it usable is you have to do the work on the front end to characterize the portfolio so that it matches reality, and then overlay the data as it's as it becomes available or as it's inbound in such a way that it's the most used to the most people and do that in a, in a quick way. Um, we found that to be sort of the key consideration that thinking the data and normalizing was one picture. Okay, excellent. All right, actually, we just got a question hot off the press here from one of our, uh, our, our listeners here. So they indicate that um, you know many of us corporate occupiers do not own the buildings we occupy. It's harder to influence the smart building so we focus on the smart workplace. Um, what are what what can you do to have a positive impact uh, on sustainability, specifically in the workplace, uh, leveraging technology to do so? Um, maybe we'll go to our, our our corporate end users here. So, man, Jeremy, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think this one uh, resonates with us. I mean, we we don't own most of our buildings, only a few. So most of them, we are you know the occupier. Uh, when it comes to technology and sustainability. Um, we, we basically build design standards. So I'll say the biggest thing around sustainability is, 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 is knowing what your portfolio is going to look like, right? You know, and being able to build standards um, for the types of buildings in this situation where you're gonna be the occupier of the building. Uh, we have sustainability all, all the way from the beginning of, of supplies uh, and vendors, right, built in. And then also all the way to when we operate that building as it relates to our facility management, um, our health and safety team as it relates to deployment of uh, sustainability programs. Um, where we can, we also look at uh, connecting to building automation systems that the owner might own, right? It, sometimes you can negotiate leases and talk with the buildings. A lot of new buildings are very modern and already have building automation systems that they will, as you Jeff talked, will make it available to the occupier to have information, right? So though you might not have full control over everything, um, having that that information and, and negotiating it with the landlord ahead of time to say, we would like to have the information. We know we can't control all of it, but we would like it to be able to understand how we are using energy and utilities within the built within our space, right? Mm -hmm. To be conscious of sustainability. Okay, great. Uh, Jeff Peel, how about from AID's perspective? Yeah, same, it's very similar. Uh, a lot of our savings come from energy, right? So we're always looking at energy consumption you know, as, you know, across uh, square footage, wherever it may be. 
So if we see over time HVAC is running a lot, we're getting a lot of bills in one area. Why are we doing that? Uh, we have also done some strategies where, hey, we've got five floors in a building, but only you know 20% utilized. Can we shut off lights on some floors on certain days or Fridays or things like that? Or should we tell everyone to work from home on Friday and just shut down the building? You know, at least for our floor. So there's definitely opportunities there. Okay, great, excellent. And there, there's a little bit of feedback coming through the system. So maybe if if, uh, if, if we're not speaking, if you could go on mute, that would be great. Just to minimize that background for everybody. I appreciate it. Um, okay, well, let's turn to the topic of uh, of um, the broader technology uh, strategy and roadmap. So um, over the years, as I've, as I've worked with uh, companies to help them develop their CRM technology strategies and roadmaps, one of the questions that always comes up is which entity should bring the required uh, corporate real estate or workplace technology to the table? Is it the, the corporate entity? Should the CRE, FM service providers be, be uh, responsible for this? Um, you know, the landscape has changed a lot right, in the recent years relative to SaaS solutions and you know, the transition to cloud, um, evolving perspectives on, on, um, on, on P&L versus capital uh, expenditures. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this? How, how do your organizations think about this? Uh, and we'll, uh, why don't we start with uh, with Darlene? Sure. So, um, you know, I think it's a I think it's a great model um, for FM service providers for real estate uh, companies to be able to provide technologies to their to their clients to their to the customers. Um, but I think the question is really what's in the best interest of the company, the end user, uh, because you can change real estate service providers, uh, you know, every five years or whatever the, the the pace is. And so I think what's happened is there's been this new model, I'd say probably in the last eight to 10 years, where real estate companies used to buy technology for their own use. Um, and now real estate companies are buying technology for their clients' use. Um, and it's a, tr it's a, it's a tremendous uh, revenue source and, and, a, and, a, and a really good way for them to hold on to those customers long-term. Um, I think the challenge is, though, that if you look at the needs of the end user of the, of the actual companies, having the flexibility um, to be able to select the right product that's right for them over a long period of time, and that may span multiple service providers over that you know, 10, 15, 20 year period. So really not locking yourself into one particular technology just because it's the technology that that service provider may happen to offer may happen to offer. Excellent. All right. Uh, Jeremy, how about what your perspectives? Yeah, I think it, a lot of it comes down to choices of the uh, of, of the company, right? You might be in different situations, right? You know, might be different industries, might be depending on uh, where your company is as it relates to maturity level, how long it's been out. So I'll give just quick examples, right? You know, 10 years ago, we didn't have a facilities team. We didn't have a workplace team, right? Five years ago when I joined Uber, there were three dispersed systems that were randomly put together that were being utilized by our workplace team, right? Uh, we needed to leverage not only uh, a service provider to help us globally scale and operate our buildings, at the same time, we needed to scale technology fast. So for us, it made sense to leverage as much as possible from our service provider because they already had the experience, they've already done this, they brought the resources we needed from a technology support perspective to scale fast as because that's what Uber needed. Um, now, will that work for every company? Probably not. Will that work for us in five years from now? 
you know, might not either. I think roadmaps could change depending on the landscape of your company and the industry that you're working in. Yep. Oh, great points. Uh, Jeff Thompson, how about your thoughts? I think you're still on mute. Jeff, Jeff you're, you're on mute. Oh, thanks. Um, so I think it's incumbent on us, particularly now that we're part of JLL, that we are very transparent and that we are, you know, offering common ground to all the providers. So from a decision-making standpoint, we see it varying quite a bit. Oftentimes, it's still the owner that makes the ultimate decision, and they're choosing the platform to have all their providers operate on, and that's a great environment because the solution can be tailored to the owner. And then, as Darlene mentioned, um, oftentimes buildings are moving between providers uh, pretty regularly across a large portfolio. Um, so we, we see that quite a bit. We also see a number of clients that adopt the technology stack of the provider because, you know, as Jeremy mentioned, you're looking to spool up quickly and you're looking to be dynamic. One sort of new aspect of this that really has just come up, you know, honestly, over the last six to 12 months is what we're seeing now is in addition to those two scenarios, there's also the scenario of the service provider and the, the large corporate occupier offering software or technology as an amenity to the landlords and the buildings they occupy that they don't own. And that's actually more along the lines of, you know, in some buildings that aren't as mature, making those landlords better landlords. And then they can in turn offer that to you know, the other tenants in those spaces or the other occupants in those spaces. So we see it as part of growing this sort of common ground ecosystem. And, you know, to date, it's been you know, quite successful. Okay, great. And Jeff Peel, thoughts? Yeah, so I, I agree with everyone that I said here. I think at the end of the day, if you're less mature, you're going to rely on a partner to help bring more of that technology to you. If you're more mature, I think you'll try to do more of that in-house and ask the vendor to use your systems. Uh, the, the one thing I'll, I'll say is as you grow more mature, you need, you know, there's more complexity to maintain either a system if it's IWMS or multiple systems if you have SaaS products and, and different things. It gets more complex the more you use it. So as, as your technology evolves, uh, so does your staff. You need to have the right people on staff to be able to manage that. So it's not just, hey, we're corporate real estate and we rely on IT. You really need somebody who's technical in the CRBS staff to help with that. Okay, excellent. Okay, well, um, let's take this question maybe down to another level of detail. So if you think about the increasing levels of technology that are being offered by, by many of the corporate real estate and FM service providers, um, you know, in many cases, they're, they're bundling services and technology. Um, you know, it, for the end users here, Jeremy and Jeff, do you, do you see this? You've alluded to some of this, but maybe a little bit more detail here. Do you really see it as a benefit um, that they're bringing that preset offering to you? Um, or do you feel like it's, it's limiting your options? Or is it a saving grace because you have no time and you need to get it done quickly and, and that's what you need to, to go with? Uh, you know, or, or are there potential conflicts of interest? What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts there, uh, Jeremy? Why don't we start with you? Yeah, I think definitely in our case, it was a, it was a it was a must-have. Now, did we look at all the bundled services and technology? I would say no. I say what we did was we prioritized, right? You know, yeah. uh, to take for example facility management. You know, if you're going to bring facility managers services in, right? You know, you're you're probably 100% going to want to leverage uh, their services, right? Because uh, they're the experts in their product. They're the experts in managing services. Um, you know, you want to scale that up fast, 
right? You, you're going to take that as a bundle. But where you get to like maybe the more experiential side of things, right? You know, uh, for example, our space management tool, which is embedded into our um, intranet site, which has high visibility to uh, our employees, uh, we 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 push back a little and said we want to look at options. So yes, you recommend this one, but we kind of don't really like it, right? So let's look at other options. So we're still letting them bring the technology, but most service providers also have in outside of their core service offerings might have other uh, other options that they can provide um, to the team. Okay, great. Uh, Jeff Peel, uh, maybe the AIG perspective here, and you know, AIG certainly over the last 10 to 15 years has looked at, at different different models, right? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so again, we're, we're definitely more mature now. Our technology is so heavily integrated. We, we really don't entertain you know, the vendor coming in and saying, hey, we really like you to use our system. And we certainly listen to it. Uh, but the benefit is we're, we're spinning off our life and retirement business, right? And they need a whole new real estate system coming up from the ground. So instead of trying to re-implement what we've done in AIG, we're relying on, on the partner to say, what's, you know, here's our technology. We can have it running for you day one. You know, just give us the data. So there's a huge benefit to that. Uh, so again, it really depends on where you are in the life cycle. Okay, great. And uh, maybe Darlene, maybe you want to close us out on this topic. Any additional thoughts? Yeah, well, again, I think, um, you know, for those that rely on their FM service providers um, as a consultant, uh, and they also have a, a, a host of offerings, my recommendation would be to just not limit your options to those that your service provider may be bringing to you. Because um, there's a whole world out there of other solutions. So, uh, you know, I think the, the role of the FM service provider is absolutely as an expert, as a consultant, um, uh, to help uh, with those selections. Um, but I do think it's up to the end user to also do some homework and some research to, you know, what the top solutions are in the industry um, so that they've got a broad selection to choose from. Okay. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, let, let's turn to another interesting topic of uh, we're seeing in the industry today, and it's impacting, certainly impacting the technology strategy, technology stack, uh, a significant amount of M&A activity uh, in the real estate technology arena. Um, so uh, I'm going to turn to, to Jeff Thompson here. Certainly, you, you've been living this, certainly, in, in, in recent uh, days or months. Um, what, what's your perspective on this overall, more broadly, beyond your your um, your specific building engine perspective as well but uh do you is it viewed positively is it a is it a good thing long term what are your thoughts i think it's a i think it's a good thing long term i think it has to be done you know carefully in, in the sense that there's different kinds of acquisitions um sometimes you know we've acquired uh, a number of products and in some cases what we're doing is we're acquiring a product bringing in a development team, you know, bringing in their development team, bringing in their expertise, working with their clients to build a new PRISM module to cover the same functionality. So we're not buying a program, turning it into, turning it into a legacy offering and jamming it into our platform. We don't do that. So we're very careful to sort of cultivate our platform and, and do acquisitions uh, wherever possible, you know, in that way. Um, I think that there are, there's ways to do it badly in the sense that if you make acquisitions and you're not, if the acquisition doesn't make sense or the data's not the same or the domain's not the same, and you don't take the effort to bring those things in smoothly, 
then it can be a negative. But I think overall, I think overall it's a positive in terms of creating a unified platform. Okay, very good. Okay, well, uh, along the same lines, we talk about the uh, uh, the uh, the various acquisitions. Um, what's the impact here as far as uh, the the tech stack? You know, are, are are do we see the corporate real estate service providers um, making the right investments that are required to provide that that tech stack for their their corporate clients, especially where in some cases they are they are serving as the technology provider um, and Jeremy, maybe we'll start with you. Um, certainly, you approve the business. Jeremy, can you hear us? Yep. Yeah. Sorry about yeah. that. Um, yeah, I definitely think um, I think it's the right approach. Uh, one thing I kind of you know touch base on a little bit is 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 actually the resources of managing applications and data, right? I think you know one of the the downsides in our industry is 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 there's a lot more technology and data coming, but I don't feel like the resources to handle the technical resources to handle the the management of these applications and data has caught up to the speed of the amount of uh, applications clients are trying to, to put out there. So. Um, obviously, from a service provider perspective, it's a smart decision of, you know, procuring these applications and then building resources to manage and support them because it's a benefit to clients that, you know, don't have in-house technical resources to manage these products or are leveraging their standard IT departments, which those that have done that in the past know that, you know, we're kind of not high on the priority list as it relates to a support perspective uh, for, for an application. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, so. Darlene, I'm going to turn to you for a question here about this. So you've had the, the, uh, the opportunity to sit in various seats uh, over, over your career um, in, the, in the service provider seat, offer technology clients, certainly now in the technology vendor seat. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on how this, uh, you know, what's the, the impact of, the, of, of these various approaches on, on the tech stack? And, um, and what are your thoughts from a you know, stakeholder sitting in each of those different Sure. So a couple of things. Let me just touch on the whole mergers and acquisitions conversation because sure. I do have something I want to add to that. Sure. Um, it validates the need for an IWMS in the first place because it's not just the FM service providers that are acquiring a bunch of companies. It's also point solution companies that realize we only have one solution and we need to offer a bundled package. So you look at, you know, um, Siemens buying Comfy and buying Enlighted. You look at Comfy expanding from temperature control into room booking and location-based services and wayfinding. You look at Yardi buying a, an energy management platform. and I mean, all of these companies realize we can't survive in this space as a single point solution. So it actually validates the fact that everybody's trying to buy all these companies and stitch them together, um, which makes the IWMS from the ground up that much more powerful and that much more important. Um, so my background, you know, when I was at... Uh, uh, FM service provider, as you know, as at JLL, I was a consultant. Um, and so my role there was completely product agnostic. And we worked with companies to put together, help them with their vision, put together their roadmap, design the solution. And then we helped them pick the service providers that best met their, their vision and their needs. Um, so I was in a little bit different place uh, other than actually providing solutions. But then when I went to WeWork, I became the client. So I've been a consultant to corporate real estate. Right. I've actually been corporate real estate. So as we work, I was the client. Right. And I then had to develop our smart building and digital workplace plan 
and put together RFPs to go out to the market to find the best service providers for us. And we actually did look at an IWMS approach. Um, now that I'm at Plan On as the vendor, one of the reasons I selected Plan On is because I wanted to go to a company that saw the future and that understood, especially with our partnership with Schneider Electric, that the two sides of the house are coming mm -hmm. together and that smart buildings and digital workplace will no longer be two separate conversations. Okay, all right, very good. All right, well, um, we're gonna close out the, uh, the panel discussion here with a little bit of a, a speed round uh, for, for our, our audience here. So the first question, um, what is the biggest risk that our, our listeners should be aware of relative to corporate real estate technology deployment? Uh, we'll start with Jeff Peel. Uh, so I think Darlene just hit on it, right? IWMS versus multiple systems. And there's benefits to both, right? If I go to multiple systems, maybe get the latest, greatest technology that might be out there, but that comes at a cost, right? You have to integrate all this stuff. And it's it's you can't overlook that cost. And is that integration flat file? You know, is it good enough to just have the data the next day? Is real time? Is it API? Uh, but these are all things that you need to consider. But there are lots of challenges in managing this. Okay, very good, Jeremy. Biggest risk for me, I think it. For me, I think it's um, uh, people not setting uh, success measures as it relates to the uh, type of technology they want. So, making sure before you go down the path of uh, finding and selecting a technology that you first uh, clearly articulate with stakeholders what your success measures are and build that into the uh, into the program. Okay, well, uh, Jeff Thompson, and we'll emphasize speed rep. <laughs> okay. So I think the biggest risk, honestly, is that if you focus solely on the technology platform itself and you miss out on analyzing your own your own portfolio and characterizing it properly and encompassing all the stakeholders properly, if you don't model that, then applying technology to it might not solve your problem. And I think that's a that's a big thing that sometimes gets missed as people embark on selecting a stack. Okay. And Darlene? Yeah, I think the biggest risk right now, quite frankly, with all the mergers and acquisitions is and this happened back in the 90s with all the telecom companies. You know, you couldn't go to a real estate conference without seeing, you know, 50 different telecom companies. And then there were all the mergers and acquisitions and the ones that disappeared. And then the whole industry went poof. Right. So I think we have to be really careful right now. There's a lot of disruption in the space. There's a lot of new players coming in that are trying to get into the space. There's a lot of mergers and acquisitions and companies that are trying to bolt things together to mimic an IWMS. So I think what we need to be concerned about is making sure that those solutions are solid, um, that the companies are long term, uh, that they do have the experience in the products and that we know they're going to be here in the next two to three to five years as we go through all this disruption. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. All right. Very good. Well, Chuck, we'll turn it back to you to close us out. You got them all in there just at the very last second. So thank you, Francisco. Great job. And thanks to all the panelists for your just incredibly valued contributions to, for today's session, a great discussion. And thank you to the live audience too, for all of your questions. And whether you joined us live or watching this as a recording, we just thank you for tuning in and be sure to register for part three of our corporate real estate theories, what workplace experiences make the commute into the office worth it. And that's gonna air on August 25th, a week from today. And we'll start a new three-part series. This will be a good one, Cybersecurity and Privacy on September 8th. Uh, so that's it for us today. We wish you well. Be safe, everyone. And thank you again for everything. Great. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks,